Today we're going to read two passages of Scripture, one from 1 Corinthians, where we have been studying, and the second from Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You'll find both of them printed in your text, but let's uh, remain seated, but let's read together from God's Word this morning. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. So what evidence do you need to see to determine that there are children that live in a house? Might not take much, right? Uh, If you're walking around on the outside, it might be that instead of little garden gnomes, uh, there are uh, plastic ride-along toys. If you walk inside of a house, uh, you might not see Rembrandt and other famous paintings, but rather finger paintings from, uh, from the kids' work. And if you're walking around, you're probably not going to notice the quality of the carpet, uh, but the Legos that are sticking into your, uh, into your feet. At least that's what you'd find in my house. It doesn't take long if you're, uh, if you're looking to see evidence that there are children that live in a particular house. Well, today we're going to talk about a a different kind of evidence that someone lives in a place. We're going to talk about the evidence that the Spirit of God is living in you and me. That's that's what we're going to wrestle with. We just read a a passage of Scripture that raises this question for us. The Apostle Paul is wrapping up a section where he's been teaching all about different kinds of relationships. And he comes to the end of this section, and he makes this comment, I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Now, what Paul is not doing here is uh, kind of playing the the Spirit of God trump card. He's not saying that because I have the Spirit, you have to agree with everything that I've said. No, he's, he's teaching an important principle about relationships that undergirds all of these things that we've talked about. He's teaching that the most fundamental, the most important relationship that any of us have is not with other human beings, but rather with God Himself through His Spirit. And so, this raises the question for us, how do I know I have that kind of relationship? Could I say with the Apostle Paul, I think I also have the Spirit? Well, I hope that today as we look at three evidences of the Spirit of God at work in a person's life, that you can answer that question and that it will either drive you to take an action to find that Spirit of God at work more and more or will encourage you that God is working in your life. So are you ready? That's close enough. We'll, uh, we'll get ready and we'll go. You're going to need to open up your Bibles. If, you, uh, if you've got one, turn to 1 Corinthians or pull it up on your phone, because what we're going to do is I want you to have a quick survey of the ways that Paul talks about the Spirit, because that's how we're going to find the evidence of His work in our own lives. The, the first evidence that we're going to look at shows up in chapter 2. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There are several different places where Paul talks about the work of the Spirit, We're just going to look at a few here to help you see that the first evidence, the first evidence that the Spirit of God lives in you or in me is that we have been saved by that Spirit. Let me show you what that looks like. Look at verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. 
Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Did you catch it? God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, what is it that the Spirit reveals? Well, in the context of chapter 2, Paul has been talking about the mystery of God's plan of, of bringing restoration to this world that centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul has said is this plan of God and Jesus was a mystery. It was, it was hidden for centuries and centuries and centuries. And, and people wondered, how is it that God could, uh, could redeem and could restore this world? Even, even his own people wondered. But when Jesus came, it was like God pulled back the curtain and said, here's the answer. And his answer was Jesus Christ. In his life, in his work, in his death, and in his resurrection, God was answering what is wrong with this world and how is it going to be fixed. What's wrong is that humanity, all of us, have rebelled against God and are in need of a Savior to bring reconciliation between humanity and God, and Jesus is that Savior. Now, what the Apostle Paul has argued here is that that good news, that's the gospel that we talk about in the context of Christianity, what Paul is saying here is that, that for people to even begin to understand that that is true and to recognize their need for Jesus, for even that to happen, the Spirit of God has to work. The Spirit of God has to begin to whisper into someone's mind and heart, to soften their hearts, to recognize their rebellion and their need for a Savior. And if that doesn't happen, then the person won't even find Jesus, won't know a saving relationship with him. And he puts this really poignantly at the end of this section. Just listen to what he says in verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything. Did you, did you hear what he said? If, if the Spirit of God is working in you, then you can begin to understand God's plan in Jesus for you. And this is how all of us are brought to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to recognize first that I have a problem that I cannot solve on my own. I am broken and separated from God because of my sin and rebellion. And it is only through the work of Jesus and trusting and relying on His work that I can have this relationship restored. If, if that becomes real to you, and not just something that you hear in your head, but in your heart you begin to say, oh yeah, that's me. I'm the one who rebelled against God. I'm the one who needs what Jesus has done. For that to happen, the Spirit of God must begin to work in your heart. And so if it is happening, if God is stirring in your heart to see your need for Jesus, then go towards that. Because that is evidence 
but he is alive and at work in you. This is not a small matter. You see, I, I think about it this way. I had a friend who, he was an atheist, and he and I were having a, an ongoing conversation, and, and, and one day he brought up a, a subject that at first was, was pretty difficult for me. He said, Josh, I, I, I totally believe in the things that, that Christianity teaches. I, I believe that we should be good and decent and moral people. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. We should take care of our families and be responsible citizens. I'm all for what Christianity teaches. I just don't understand why you get so hung up on the, the Jesus thing. Just, just focus on those things, and, and we'll get what we want out of this. We can all be moral and, and better people. Well, I wrestled with that for a long time. I sort of had grown up with the assumption that, that if, you, if you didn't know Jesus, then you couldn't be a, a decent, moral human being. But what my friend was teaching me was that just wasn't the case. He was a decent, moral human being. Great dad, had a good family and took care of them. He was, he was moral from all of the outside looking in. He was a decent human being. And so his argument kind of tripped me up at first. But then as I began to think and to consider this a little further, I, I said to him, I said, look, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think I agree with you. I don't think you need Jesus to be a moral, decent human being. I don't think you need Jesus at all. There's all kinds of ways to, to, to push people towards morality and to, uh, to encourage them and to motivate them to be good and decent, good ways and bad ways, but you don't need Jesus to, to make people moral or decent. But Jesus didn't come to make us moral or decent human beings. Jesus didn't die so that we might all be easier to live with, no, what, what Christianity is all about, what Jesus is all about, is not to make us more moral, but to make us alive, to, to take us from a place where we are so dead in our relationship with God that we don't even know that we need one. We're not even aware that there's something missing. And then to open up our eyes to see that there is far more to this world than we ever could imagine, because there is a living God who loves and is pursuing us, and He is inviting us into a new life with Him, so much so that the New Testament would describe the experience of, of recognizing that there is a God who is there, and that in Jesus He is opened up a door for us to know Him. It would, this would be so dramatic that it could best be described as being reborn, a new birth. You see, what Jesus is after is not to make you good. He's after making you alive in ways that only the Spirit of God can accomplish in you. And so, as you think about, is there evidence in me that the Spirit of God is at work, you need to ask the question, have, have I been made alive by the Spirit of God? Is there some dramatic change in my life where I recognize that Jesus isn't just about making me a good person, but making me an alive person in Him? If, if all you're getting 
out of Christianity is morality. And I just want to warn you that you've missed the heart of what Christianity is all about. You need to be made alive in the Spirit of God is the only one who can do that in you. So if today you recognize, I, I'm not alive. I might be a good person, or I've been a decent person, or I've been a church person, but I've not become alive through Jesus. Then the, the step today is to cry out to the Spirit of God who is right here, right now, and say, Spirit, do that in me. Make me alive. I need what Jesus has done to be made real in my life. That is what it means to be saved by the Spirit, to be reborn, to be a new creation, to be made alive in Christ. And that's what Jesus is after for each of us. And he accomplishes it by the work of his Spirit. And so if you want to answer the question, is there evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in me? The very first place to start is to ask, have I been saved by the Spirit? Do I recognize my need for Jesus? But the Apostle Paul would, would teach more. He wouldn't stop there. He wouldn't just say that the, the work of the Spirit is about helping us to see our need for Jesus and bringing about our salvation. He would also go on to say that it is the work of the Spirit that accomplishes our sanctification. It's a big word that means to be set apart or to be made holy. But I want you to see it in Paul's word. So turn to chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And you're going to see that the second evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you is that you are being sanctified by the Spirit. This is the first place, and we'll look at another. Chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him, for God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. And then flip over to chapter 6, and hear what he says in verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. And what he's talking about is a pretty nasty list. You used to be thieves. You used to be greedy. You used to be immoral. You used to be drunkards. You used to be idolaters. He's saying you used to be this way, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then catch what he says next. And by the Spirit of our God. If you want to look for evidence of the Spirit of God at work in your life to know if He's really there, then you need to ask the question, have I been sanctified by the Spirit? Is my life different today than it was a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago, because of the work of God's Spirit 
in me. You see, the, the, the plan of, of God and Jesus in, in bringing us to salvation is not to somehow just flip a switch. While, while our salvation is dramatic and it is transformative, it doesn't mean that there's no work left to be done. When we become a Christian, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus and cling to him for our salvation, the Spirit of God comes and moves inside of us and begins over time to progressively change and transform us, to, to shape our lives more and more like the image of Jesus. This is his work, not just to bring us to salvation, but to transform and make us look more and more like Jesus. Uh, think about it this way. When, when um, well, I mean, before I got married, uh, I lived in a little apartment and was quite comfortable with my sleeping bag and my duffel bag. I was very proud of the fact that everything that I owned, I could carry on my own back. I didn't even need to bother with taking my clothes out of my bag sometimes because I was just going to have to load them back in to go do laundry at my brother's house and then bring them back. No need to take them out and put them in the shelves that I had rented there in the apartment. I could just keep them in my bag and take them out. This was my way of life because it was just simple that way. It's not so bad, right? Well, then I got married. And suddenly the, the things that went along with life uh, changed dramatically. There was a whole new category of not just furniture, but of items that really, in my mind, had no purpose at all. I have, I've learned now that there are things that we need to hang on the walls simply to just make the place look nice. I didn't even hang posters on my walls in my apartment. It was just the bare blank walls because I might have had to pay more when I took them down later on. But what I've learned is that it is much better decorated the way that my wife decorates it. My house is much more friendly and welcoming, and I want to go there. It's, I want to stay there. My house is great because of the, the work that she has done to make it warm and hospitable. Well, here's the deal. The, the thing that changed for me to take me from my bare-bones apartment to a house that's so full of stuff that if we ever have to move, we're probably just going to leave it all behind, and uh, we'll start over again. The thing that changed was a new person, a new relationship, right? When, when Christy came into my life, there was a, a whole new set of values and a whole new way to approach things. And, and the evidence was that my house got redecorated. Well, in the same kind of way, when, when you begin a new relationship with Jesus, when you become a Christian or when you pursue God through his son Jesus, what, what happens is that the Spirit of God moves in to your house. He moves into your life. And what's supposed to then happen is the Spirit of God begins to redecorate the inside of you. It begins to change what you want and what you don't want. He begins to change what you're okay with and not okay with. He begins to push you to doing things that you would never have done before. He begins to, to, to shape your heart to where you want to forgive, and you want to give, and you want to serve, and you want to worship. He begins to rearrange the furniture inside of you. This is sanctification. 
And if you look at your life and you see that the Spirit of God has been rearranging things, then you should be encouraged that God loves you and has made his home with you. You should not resist those changes, nor should you try to assign the Spirit of God the guest bedroom and say, you can decorate this part of my life however you want, but you've got to stay out of this side. It won't work. And a lot of people wrestle with where they're at with Jesus. They wonder if they're even saved because they've tried to section off their life and they've so isolated the Spirit through their hard-heartedness and rebellion that they, they don't even know that He's there anymore. But what needs to happen is you need to say, Spirit, I'm opening up the door. I'm giving you the keys. You can redecorate however you want. Even if it's uncomfortable and it hurts, this house is your house. So you make whatever changes you need to make. When your heart is able to respond to Him with that kind of openness, then you can have strong encouragement that the Spirit of God is living in you. And you will find that over time, He is reshaping your insides, making you more and more into the image of Jesus. And this is why he saved you, right? It wasn't just to get you out of hell. He saved you so that you might be a reflection of the beauty and the power and the goodness and the mercy and the forgiveness that God has proven through his son Jesus all at work in you. This is accomplished for the Spirit of God lives in you. But there's one more evidence that the Apostle, the Apostle Paul points us to, that the Spirit of God is alive and is real. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we're going to come back around to it when we get there in our study of 1 Corinthians. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this section... The, the Apostle Paul is here talking about a new community that is supplied by the Spirit. Look at verse 7. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about the church. You see, the work of the Spirit is not just to save people 
nor merely to sanctify people, but to supply a people who together experience His power and become a picture of the community that one day we will experience in heaven right here on earth. Church, our life together, supplied by the Spirit of God, giving individually gifts to each of us that we corporately share to build each other up. When we do this, we are empowered by the Spirit to give evidence to the world that there is a family of faith that lives now and will live forever. And so, one of the evidences that the Spirit of God is, is real and is at work in you and in me is that we are intimately and vitally connected to His people, to His church. We are experiencing others who are pouring into us and encouraging us. And we are learning more and more to find ways to, to pour and to give into others. This community of people called the church, when the Spirit of God is at work in us, empowers us to be something together that we can never be on our own. And, and so when someone who claims to be a Christian but then says, I just don't care about the church. When, when that happens, it ought to raise some real warning signs. Because Jesus didn't save you to be off on your own, to be a lone ranger. He saved you to be a part of his people. And you can never fully experience the power of his spirit apart from the gathering of his people together a family of faith. And for a lot of folks, the reason why they wonder about the Spirit of God or maybe have never experienced the Spirit of God is because they've never opened up their lives to relationships with the people of God. And you can't have one without the other. If you want to know this Spirit, you have to know his family. And so the Spirit has worked to save, He works to sanctify, and He works to supply. And the question that each of us have to face is, is there evidence in my life that this Spirit has been at work? What about you? If someone were to investigate your life, to show up at your house, would they find evidence of the Spirit, or would they wonder? Let's pray. Father, we need you to stir and to work in us. We need you to soften our hearts, to open our ears and our eyes, to help us to look honestly and Father, for those places where we do see your Spirit working, we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness towards us. Thank you that you are patient and kind towards us and that you 
continue to draw us to you. Would you give us life now by your Spirit for the glory of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.